Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Intentional Health Podcast. Guys, I'm going to change the name of the podcast eventually. I promise. I keep, I'm just waiting to, here's the thing. When I change the name, I have to make a new cover photo. I have to record a new intro. And that's a lot of effort. But just wait. Give me 30 days. No, no. Give me 60 days. And we're going to have a whole podcast rebrand. It's going to be so exciting. She's going to be beautiful. But until then, welcome to the Intentional Health Podcast. I hope that you are having the loveliest of days. I'm having the loveliest of days. You want to know why? Because there is currently a storm outside. There is some like crazy wind rainstorm going on. And I don't know about you, but the coziness that comes from a storm when I just have to like be locked inside my house working is my favorite thing ever. Also, I apologize for the dinging in the background. Oh my goodness. I always forget to put my computer on Do Not Disturb when I record these episodes. And then the dinging gets caught on the recording, but it's okay. We're in, we're in Do Not Disturb now. We are ready for an exciting podcast episode. And let me tell you, I have an exciting episode for you today. Paul Saladino made a joke on Instagram one day that like no one gave a shit about Kale until Kale got like a really good PR and marketing team. And then all of a sudden like Kale was the shit and everyone was raving about it and it was the superfood. But like until like, you know, at one point no one gave a crap about Kale. And then, so I was just like, you know, you know who needs a good PR and marketing team? Sardines. Because sardines are way more of a superfood than kale. And everyone thinks they're gross. And frankly, I thought they were gross for the longest time too. My dad would eat them every day when I was a kid. And I just thought they smelled gross. They looked gross. I'd never tasted them. But then the first time I did taste them, they were fantastic. And now they're a staple in my diet. So I thought it would be a good time to bring the founders of my favorite sardine company on the podcast. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Eric and Joey of Skin and Bone Sardines. Welcome to the Intentional Health Podcast, a space for women to be empowered with the real no BS truth about their health. But to be honest, this podcast goes far beyond physical health. Join me each week as I share stories, science, and thoughts with you on everything surrounding womanhood. You can pretend we're just two girlfriends chatting over some homemade mocktails or a warm glass of raw milk, because that's how I want these conversations to feel. I'm not about formalities. I share the details no one wants to say out loud and answer the questions we've all secretly been asking. So welcome, friend. I'm so glad that you're here. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of bringing you Joey and Eric, who are the founders of Skin and Bone, aka my favorite sardine company in the world. Jesse and I had the pleasure of grabbing dinner with Eric and Joey a little while ago, and while what they're doing in the sardine industry is so impressive and encouraging, what really stood out to both Jesse and I was the absolute zest for life these two have. I have never met two humans that bring energy to a room quite like you guys. And so while we'll talk a lot about sardines today, I also can't wait for you to share with the audience some of your wisdom on what a fulfilling life really looks like. So Eric and Joey, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks, Kyla. I should also note that you guys are the first male guests on this podcast, and so that should make you feel pretty special. (laughs) It feels a little bit wrong, but it's okay. It's an honor. It's an honor. (laughs) Okay, let's get straight to the good stuff. Because I, until I tried your sardines, I honestly thought sardines were a pretty repulsive food. I definitely had no idea how good they could taste and definitely didn't know what a superfood they were. So could you guys give the audience a snapshot of exactly what makes sardines so special? Right. You want to take this? Eric, yeah. Or should so, I? Um, I, I, I could take it. So a quick background, just kind of how I got introduced. Joey's father actually introduced me to sardines about five years ago. And back then I used to bodybuild quite often. And, you know, I was on the chicken and rice diet. This was my go-to. I didn't think there was anything better. Joey's father, you know, Lebanese background, they, or he introduced me to this superfood, sardines, and I fell in love immediately. So I did research on it and really my whole life changed after that. I, I was like mind blown. Why aren't more people eating sardines? You know, tuna is so popular in the bodybuilding culture. I just 
I couldn't wrap my brain around why no, why people didn't eat more sardines. So let's break down some of the health benefits, right? Some of the most bioavailable sources of omega-3 metal toxicity is lowest in most any other fish. You have a high source of protein. You have other micronutrients, selenium, um, iron, magnesium, B12. It's just in the amount of food that you consume, it's almost the best bang for your buck. That's probably the best way I can put it. Sourcing wise, it's very sustainable. So, you know, I started eating them every day and then I noticed a huge difference in muscle retention as well as body weight, uh, body fat percentage was, you know, staying the same, if not decreasing. So I then started telling more people about them. And then I noticed that most people didn't really know about sardines. You know, it was kind of like the, the father, uh, grandparents food that kind of died, whether that happened because of marketing, uh, it was considered a poor man's food. So not sure what happened, but what I do know is that it is one of the healthiest things that you could eat considering that it is such in, in such a small quantity as well. So that I is, eat sardines every day. Yeah. I was going to say that's so true because that is, it's something that like growing up, my dad always ate and I was like, oh my gosh, like that is disgusting. Like, no, I don't <laughs> want to eat that. But it really is this insane, like packed nutrient dense, protein dense food. That's also like $3, you know, to get like a steak, you know, you're going to pay 10, 12, $15 to get a pack of sardines, three bucks. Like it's insane. So. In comparison to other canned fish, it is one of the cheaper options. You know, tuna has gotten over the past few years very expensive. And I think that's and due to so many people, bodybuilders, and really the health community hopping on like, oh my God, tuna is such a fast, easy, healthy, convenient thing to consume. Whereas it should be yes and no. I mean, tuna has a lot higher metal content than sardines. It is much less sustainable than sardines. And really and truthfully, this is my opinion, given we have a sardine company, so I'm going to be biased. I think sardines, I know sardines taste much better. They're fattier, so you have much more flavor in them. But in terms of the consistency, they're very similar, tuna and sardines. I mean, you can, anything you do with tuna, you can do exactly with sardines. So like I said, going back to my point, where all this got lost in translation, I don't know. But that's our goal is to, you know, really explain why sardines are so amazing and, and, and how you can incorporate them into your diet. I love that. Yeah. It's, and also, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like tuna is just straight. Like when you're getting like a canned tuna or like a packet of tuna, it's just like straight protein versus you have the sardines, which you're getting so many omega threes, you're getting so many nutrients and minerals, which I feel like you're not at all getting in that tuna packet. Yeah. So that tuna is, is super, super lean and it's a good source of protein. You're not getting much of anything else, right? So our sardines, let's say have 18 to 20 grams of protein and a tuna packet is going to have 18 to 20 grams of protein. That tuna is just fat. I mean, it's just protein itself. Whereas in the sardine, you have the fatty acids coming from the fat. So you have omega-3, you have the bones as well, which give you so much calcium. So in comparison to, let's say you have the same quantity of sardines versus tuna, drastically different nutrient absorption for sure. No question. Yeah. Aside from like, you know, the higher level macros of it, dive more into the nutrient and mineral content, because especially for the women listening to this, like, yes, protein is important, but one of the huge things about women getting pain-free periods of rebalancing their hormones is being able to fill their body with the nutrients and the minerals that are really lost in the standard American diet. So if you were to create a billboard for sardines, what would be the, you know, five main points of like, these are this is what makes it a superfood. These are the vitamins and the minerals that are really, really um, huge in this. Yeah. Right. Uh, Joey, could I take this one? Yep, please. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, right off the bat, the first thing I could think about with the sardine is if you think about it in our day-to-day -day life and our diets, I mean, how often are we actually eating the whole entire animal thick and through tail to head? 
I mean, I think the beauty of the sardine is that, especially the ones that have the skin and bone, is that A, you're consuming the spine, aka the central nervous system of another living organism. If you think about your central nervous system, I mean, that is the lifeline to all existence that has a vertebrae, of course. But if you think about that CNS, it's going to have so many nutrients that the average person is not consuming when they're having a lean protein or they're eating fat. Let's say they have oxtail or maybe they're even going upwards towards the liver. I mean, the liver is important, of course, but the CNS is going to have way more nutrients. Um, so that's a that's a beauty of the sardine right off the bat. Um, all those minerals that are going to be in there and the nutrients. Uh, to pivot to another point too is really the omega-3. And I think people, they think, okay, just like protein, like there's an equivalence of protein, like, oh, 20 grams of protein is this. If I get it from lentils or beef, it's obviously not true. That's been disproven. And I think the same... Um, it applies for omega omega three in a way, where for instance, like our can of sardines could have anywhere from two to three grams of omega three, depending on the time of the season, and the time of the year and the season that it's caught. But um, it's far more bioavailable than, for instance, you taking an omega three supplementation. And I mean, if we actually think about omega three supplementation, just to divert a little bit here, does anyone really think about how they're getting that fish oil? Right? I mean. They're going to take a bunch of lower tier fish, take it all up, grind the unfavorable parts that weren't being able to be sold, compressing it, deodorizing it, deoxidizing it, heating it, putting it in like a vegetable pill, then putting them in, you know, the little plastic jars that they're getting sent out to, international shipping containers sitting on shelves. By the time it gets to you, if you're telling me that omega-3 isn't oxidized and is the same as having it from fish... You're crazy. In my opinion, I think omega-3 supplementation is terrible and is doing a net negative to people. The biggest thing that I get from women is like, oh, what supplement should I be taking? Well, I'm this and this, like all these different supplements. And I'm like, just eat freaking food, like eat some nutrient-dense food, eat some good whole food, and you're going to get what you need. Like I always, people freak out when I don't recommend a prenatal supplement for women who are trying to conceive, but I'm like, you could take a prenatal supplement with all these synthetic vitamins, or you could eat egg yolks, or you could eat oysters and sardines and root vegetables and all of these things that are going to give you way more bioavailable forms of those nutrients and minerals. And it's like, there's such a difference. And people, they don't, they're so removed from the food industry that they don't understand that that supplement that you're eating, it's, it's not the same. No, no. And, and, and you're right there where they, uh, it's two things like people don't question a, where is this derived from? Right? Like what is the source material that they're using to make this? And then B, how is it even in this? Like if you were to tell my grandma that like every time I think about like my whole nutritional profile is would my grandma consume this? She'd be like, what the heck is this? Absolutely not. She'll throw that away in the trash immediately. Cause it's not even comprehensible, but, uh, we'll get to grandma later on. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole nother subject. That that is a huge life philosophy for me. Is would your grandma do it or not? But um, so is yeah, a and then be, oh sorry, go go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, is a can of sardines the equivalent swap for your omega three supplement? Like the grams of omega three that you'd get in a can of skin and bone sardines, is that the equivalent of grams of omega three that you would get in a fish oil capsule? Much more. Right. So like. Much more, right? Yeah, much more. If you think about like your standard serving of a, let's say omega three or let's say omega XL, it'd be like a thousand eight hundred per serving, your daily serving um, of like I, I said, that highly refined fish oil. While from us, it could be anywhere from two to three grams of extremely bioavailable omega three that comes from the skin of the sardine. Um, it's literally in the skin, in the fat lining of the fish. Um, so yeah, you're getting twice as much from a single three to four ounce serving of sardine than you would have two whole daily servings, which you're not supposed to take on any high price omega-3 supplementation for basically $3. That's so interesting. And what about vitamin D? Because I was actually shocked to, I don't remember what it was that you guys sent me something about sardines. And you had mentioned that there was a pretty high amount of vitamin D3, I believe in sardines. And that was very surprising to me. What, what does that concentration look like? Yeah, so vitamin D3 in one can of sardines is 40% of your daily value. It's higher than most any other fish as well. So it's just going back to 
powerhouse, it has everything in it. I mean, 40% of your daily value of vitamin D, you should be getting much more than that in your diet as well. But just that alone is, is massive in itself. And just to kind of go back a little bit, a little bit of a tangent, but I used to be in the um, fitness industry and everyone would always ask me about supplements. Hey, what supplements do you use? What supplements do I take for X, Y, Z? And at the time, this is when I was eating sardines, I would literally tell them like, get rid of your fish oil and start sardines. This is, ex- this is what I do. I eat sardines every day. And also I love the flavor of it, but I also see it as I'm getting my necessary daily intake of omega-3 daily from this very bioavailable source of of protein it's and so when people tell when you tell someone this they don't comprehend because i think the supplement industry has such a a large hand over people a grasp on like our daily nutrient slash food intake that it's just there's a disconnect just like joey said that you know we get all the things we need from the earth it's natural like we all this is derived from we have everything we need from the ground and in our body. There is no need for this excess supplementation. Now, given I can go on, a, I'm not going to go on this tangent of like uh, soil and stuff like that. I'll just, I'll just end it there. Going back to vitamin D3 intake. That's all we got to know. It's high. That's awesome. And that's so important for especially women that live in colder states and states up north where they don't get a lot of sun exposure for many, many months out of the year and are really missing out on that vitamin D, which is so vital for our hormone function. Like you can have things like sardines. I always recommend like cod liver oil to women, but like sardines are a much cheaper version of that very bioavailable vitamin D3. So I think that is such an amazing thing for amazing tool for women to, to have for, because I think <laughs> a lot of times when people hear sardines, they're obviously immediately repulsed and I think it's a, it's a weird, cause that's the DM that I get so often from women. They're like, cool. Like that's cool that you eat sardines, but like, I could never eat that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. They taste <laughs> so good. You're just buying the wrong ones because I, the first ever, the first time I ever ate sardines in my life was your sardines. And then I bought a can of wild planet and ate those and they were so disgusting I could not even swallow them and I was like oh my gosh if people think sardines are disgusting they're probably eating this crap over here and they don't know what they're actually supposed to taste like so for people first of all people need to be getting the right sardines but for people that feel nervous about starting to eat sardines what can you recommend to make them taste good wow I mean uh Loaded question, and I totally understand because I think a lot of people conflate sardines with like small, stinky, smelly fish, like geriatric food, disgusting, right? Uh, especially anchovies. Like, there's that, there's that mindset, like, oh my god, a sardine must be an anchovy, which I personally hate anchovies. But yeah, so I think people think that the sardine tastes and smells like an anchovy, when in reality, if we just take away all our preconceived notions, it really just tastes like a really tasty, fatty version of tuna. How it happened, how it came about, I don't know. And that's me and Eric's ultimate battle right now is that uphill battle of changing and converting people's mindset. Like, hey, this is not a stinky, old, nasty fish. This is a forgotten superfood that our grandparents used to eat, that the Mediterranean used to eat for literally thousands of years to give them strength and to keep them going. And it was a food that naturally replenished and it just got lost in this, you know, modern era of so much information and new things that, uh, you know, People don't eat sardines. They completely forgot about them. Um, and yes, going back to the whole wild planet season, other brands, whatnot, not to knock on them, but they are um, specifically wild planet. Like these aren't real sardines that you're consuming from wild planet. This is a, a certain type of, they, they share the same genus as sardines, but many world organizations don't consider those sardines that they pack real sardines. They're sardine. I believe it's sardinus saginanops. I can never pronunciate it properly because I'm not a biologist. Say it again. Saginus, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it's a certain type of Pacific sardine that is A, lower in omega-3. B, it's a sub-quality or a subpar quality of fish. And C, you know, they're caught in Pacific waters 
And they're basically processed in Thailand, really, really cheap. And they're an imitation of a sardine, what a sardine should be. The real sardine is the Atlantic and Mediterranean sardine, which is what we get from Portugal, which has a very prestigious history of canning since the beginning of canning itself, which started in Napoleon's era. Um, so it's actually pretty old canning. Um, and I know canning gets a lot of negative rep, which we could speak about later on. Um, and I totally understand why people have a negative connotation with cans, but we could get to that in a second. You can and, talk about um, it now if you want. Right. So, I mean, to give people a little background on the history of canning, ultimately when Napoleon was doing his Napoleonic Wars and doing all of his stuff, he needed a way to, you know, make sure his millions of men were fed with high quality food and nutrients to keep them going throughout, you know, whatever they were doing. And uh, basically, he put out a grant saying anybody that could invent a method for us to preserve food and keep it shelf stable and as nutrient dense as possible for our people will win a grant. And uh, there was a gentleman, God bless him, can't remember his name, came up with the <laughs> method of canning. And uh, I know he just got lost in the, uh, the time of history, his name, but uh, came up with the method of canning from there. You know, back then when they canned, it was almost like how we would do a, uh, I guess you could say, what do you call them? The glass jars today. Mason jar. The ball jars. Yeah, a modern mason jar. Stainless steel, a little bit of steam, sealed up, etc. As time progressed, people started putting plastic liners in. They started making it as cheap as possible. They understand that, you know, we could put sub-quality food in these cans, package them using really crappy cans, and then, you know, save money and ship it all over the world and it would never expire. So we've moved away from those, you know, additives that they put into the canning process to make these things cheap and as affordable as possible and to move this product all over the world. You know, we're moving to the traditional methods of canning, which is why we chose Portugal, because they were where canning was started. That's where Napoleon put his first canneries was in Portugal because he had conquered all of Spain and all of the, you know, Iberian Peninsula. And, um, you know, so we decided to go there because they had the history, they have the technique, and they have the format of these canneries that do things in the traditional style while catching the fish, hand-packed, hand-sealed, the whole nine yards. And, um, yeah. That's great. And there's a lot of other things that you guys do pretty differently about your product, which I love. For example, you choose to steam your fish and not fry them like most companies do. Why did you make that choice? Well, it's just the, the healthier alternative, you know, steaming, it's at a low, it's at a lower temperature than frying. Of course, you know, everything has a smoke point, so it gets oxidized and then you have, you know, rancidity inside and then it causes havoc on your body so low temperature is the best way to cook it also as well like joey was saying before is that heating that can to a certain level is bad so that's why the sardines are first cooked and then placed in the can and then filled with extra virgin olive oil and then sealed so it's a completely different process there's we visited we were fortunate enough to visit many different canneries and we saw the different processes of each one and the better tasting ones as well, steam outside of the can, then place in the can, and then whatever oil they use, and then sealed. Rather than you hand pack in the can, you cook it in the can, oil, seal it. Two very different ways of cooking. That's right. so interesting. Why do some companies choose to fry? Is it just cheaper, just easier? Way cheaper. cheaper. Way easier. I mean, yeah, you, you cut out a... A process in the manufacturing so like if you think about it if you have to steam then you got to insert and then pour oil you know by then they just put the fish in put the oil cook it hey we're done seal let's go it, it saves the whole process in the line so it's more like honoring the time methods and taking our time to do it like i said yeah the ancient way which they did not the speed fast industrial push it out yep right and so i think it'd be cool to give like a little a little, um, not history, but let me see, how, how would I put this? Oh, a little introduction of like how they catch the sardines in Portugal. Yeah, that's okay go for you. it. So our cannery, you have local fishermen that go out. Our sardines are caught with a net. So they get, you know, their daily amount. They bring them back to the port. Now, typically there are either men or women that are sorting through the sardines. They pick 
uh, good quality and good size one. That's a big thing for them. They don't want anyone that are tarnished or their skin is, is completely peeled off. So they'll throw those and use them for a pate or whatever. So they pick the sardines. And then what happens is the head is cut off, the tail is cut off, and then they're moved to the factory. Now in the factory, they're put on this grate. They're steamed in an oven for about two to three hours. And then after that, they're hand packed into the can. They go through a conveyor belt, extra virgin olive oil, single source extra virgin olive oil. We can get on that later as well. It is poured overflowing. That way there's no air when it gets sealed. The can is then sealed and then it is done. And that's our product right there. Easy said. That's amazing. I love how much intention you guys put into just all of the different choices in creating your products. It's so easy for companies just to choose the cheapest methods or the simplest methods because, you know, you are a business. You do need to be making money. You need to have good profit margins. But I feel, you know, all of the biggest companies today are the ones that are choosing that. You see companies selling out. You know, you see the huge chocolate that just got bought out and the Bragg's apple cider vinegar just got bought out by these companies that just care about profit. They don't care about quality. And I think we're going to see a real shift in which businesses are successful in the next coming years to businesses that actually care about their consumers and don't choose every last cent of cent of profit just to, you know, completely screw up what their product is that they're giving us. So I think it's really important that people start to support these companies that actually give a shit about them and actually will sacrifice a little bit of money to make a higher quality product that's going to serve you better. So I love that you guys do that. Right. And I think like we told you before, uh, at at this stage of our company, like, you know, we, the question has came up, we've been in it for about a year now, like, Hey, should we start moving to maybe other countries and get, you know, slightly lower quality fish and we can start making a profit. Cause as of now, even though we're selling over 10,000 cans a month on the internet and we're about to do our retail push and go all over the nation, you know, we're scaling upward. We're still not turning a profit. And that's because we're not compromising on the fact that we care about quality. I would never feed anybody. It's just like an ethical and moral, moral stance. I will never feed anybody what I won't eat myself. I just, I can't do it. It doesn't matter if I'm throwing a house party, you're invited to my house. I don't know you, some random guy off the street. If I can't eat it, you're not having it. So me and Eric are like, fine, like, man, we'll lose money until we could get to that velocity where, hey, we got enough volume that they're going to have to give us a break and we're getting there. So, um, and that's actually a little heartbreaking that I used to love huge chocolate. My sisters would buy it for me all the time, put it in the freezer. That's so sad. I had no idea. They, I don't know who they sold out to. Oh, I wish I could remember, but they got tested, like third party tested a few months ago and they were like one of the highest testing chocolates for lead which was so sad. Wow. Wow. You know, know it's crazy. It's like, uh, and that goes to another part of advertising and everything. Like people could just give the image and these modern brands, like they give the image of being so humane and so clean. And then behind your back, they're just doing all these terrible things and they got away for so long. Like, you know, you look at the, the basic of the packaging of you, you feel like you're buying something that's more like, Hey, I'm helping the cacao farmers and it's so clean and healthy, but I, I guess, were they hiding the lead content or was it just that, hey, they just got third party tested and? No, they just, I mean, they just got tested. I don't even think they knew, but it's because that, you know, they're not intentional about their sourcing. They don't test their own things. That's why I love, you know, things like purity coffee, for example, the coffee that I drink is they will test themselves. Like they will go ahead and like, hey, we're going to test all of our batches and we'll tell you the exact content of all these things. Like we need to start leaning on brands that are transparent about these things because yeah you can't just fall for all the pretty packaging with cute little story about their family and all these things because most of it's a lie like you have for example native oh my god native the soap company or soap and deodorant and all these these things piss me off so much because it's this company that's supposed to be you know family owned and so cute and pretty and they care so much about your health they're owned by is it Procter and Gamble or is it Johnson and Johnson? One of the two big companies is who they're owned by. Like right. it's such bullshit. And so you cannot just believe what the packaging is telling you. You have to dig deeper as a consumer and it's unfortunate, but that's just how it is today. Wow. Yeah. Right. And I think um and that leads to a very important thing is like, okay, how can we hedge ourselves from these people that are like basically scrupulous characters. Like I don't, I'm a very skeptical person, right? I tend not to believe what people tell me and I have to do a little more like research and, and dig in and and get my own insights from the whole entire thing. 
So, but the thing is, is we don't have enough time in a day to do that research. Like I don't blame people for just, you know, oh, they see native. Um, it looks clean on the package. They're already so strung out on having like three kids. All their kids have things to do. They have a job. They have a husband at home. They could be a single mother. They could be a very busy college student. Like they don't have time to do their due diligence. So like a massive philosophy with my life is as simple as it could be, whether it be the soap that I'm putting in my body, what I'm consuming, what I'm drinking, X, Y, and Z. If we could make it as simple as possible, odds are that's going to be the best thing for us. So like um, even sardines, for instance, like there's not much I could do to finagle you with a sardine. It's really salt the fish and extra virgin olive oil. It's three simple ingredients. Like I can't do any food magic there. There's no food magic in sardine or, you know, even with deodorant, like you could get away with just very simple coconut oil. Some extra, uh, some other things are like three or four ingredient deodorants. The more complication we put or the more complication a brand puts into their product, the more skeptical I become because it's like, what are you guys hiding? It should be way more simple than this. How did all humans exist prior before this? They didn't need this level of sophistication and complexity to survive. And if anything, they lived way healthier before we did. So where is your value added with all this complexity? That is so true. And it's it's so interesting. I've noticed that consumers, they seem to be drawn to complexity. Like when you have like the mysticism of this product that has all of these like super special weird ingredients that you've never heard of somehow in people's brains, it's like, oh, that must be the healthy option. There's some secret magic jelly bean in that that's going to make it so healthy. But it's like, no, like complex isn't better. Like simple is better. 99% of the time they're either trying to bullshit you or there's something that they're hiding. And it's like, just go back to the basics and you will be healthy. Um, I want to pivot subjects here a bit because like I said in the beginning of the episode, the enthusiasm and the joy for life both of you have is truly contagious. And, and over dinner a few weeks ago, I got to hear Joey talk so beautifully about what a healthy life really looks like. We had started talking about blue zones and the foods that are consumed there and how there really is so much variance in the foods that are consumed in blue zones. You know, some of them are plant-based, some of them are animal-based, some just eat complete crap, like the one that I lived in in Costa Rica. But the common denominator that they all share is really the lifestyle that they live. So can you share your perspective on what a blue zone lifestyle looks like and how that can supersede the food that you're eating? Yeah, definitely. So I've, I, I have been fortunate enough to visit um, two blue zones, Okinawa and Sardinia, Italy. And actually, I got a funny story. I was in Okinawa. This was a few months ago, and I was climbing a mountain. And I, I'm not joking with you guys. There was a 90-year-old woman beating me. She was right next to me, and she passed me. And I'm here. I'm out of breath. <laughs> I don't train cardio too often, but you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm in shape. I, I take care of my body and she passed me. And, and about a week prior to that, I actually watched a documentary on Netflix, the one with the blue zones and everything. And, you know, going to Okinawa, it really like, it, it put all the keys together. It was like, it is lifestyle, their lifestyle, for example, in Okinawa, everybody is up in the morning, walking, moving. So blood flow is huge. Another thing is variance and diet. Vegetables. I'll tell you, they eat a lot of pork as well. So going back to the whole vegan thing, you know, I think that documentary was was kind of pushing like a like, hey, these countries are veggie based, oh, vegan. I that don't agenda think- pisses me off so much. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> it could not be farther from the truth. Yeah, I know, one hundred percent. And you know you know, before the podcast, we were talking about protein levels and whatnot. You don't need a lot of protein, but protein is, is, is necessary as well. Anyways, going back to what I was saying is you have variance in diet, you have blood flow and then purpose. And I think these really are the most vital things. And I think Joey can agree with me as well, is that you need to move. You need to move every day. This doesn't need to be, uh, getting under a heavy bar and doing squats, but you need to walk. You need to be grounded. You need to get your blood and oxygen circulating. I think that's one of the most important things you do until you die. Like that should be a, a, a ritual every single day is that you should move. Biggest thing. Second is 
a, a diet is, if not the most important as well. I mean, all of these are, are very important and they all have, like I said, they're all a puzzle and you all, you have to put it all together, but they all serve its own importance. Diet in Okinawa and in Sardinia, what I can say is that both of them, everything was just whole foods. And going to both of these places, seeing how much sugar and dessert they eat, it's insane. They eat, no, seriously, like, okay, right? They eat so much bread, carbs, sugar, alcohol. Same with same with Okinawans, is that they love their sweets. And then you look at, around and you're like, no one's fat. No one has all these health conditions. And you wonder like, okay, what's going on? We've been told our whole lives, carbs are bad, sugar's bad, this is bad, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, these cultures have been doing this for who knows, hundreds and hundreds of years, and they seem to be doing fine. So I think from that, you could draw to conclusion that it's all about whole foods. And what I noticed is that everything that I was eating, nothing, not one thing was packaged especially in Sardinia. We went to these agriturismos. They're basically like farmhouses. And what they do, Joey's been to them as well. It's like a 17 course meal and everything is from the farm. There's not one thing that is not handmade. And it was one of the most filling, heavy, also light meals I've ever had. And there was so much sugar and fats and carbs in this. But after that, you felt amazing. There was, there wasn't this, like I go and I eat something, I ate a packaged food and I get this weird feeling in my body. Like it's not natural. Like it's not sitting in my stomach. Right. But over there you can eat literally, it seems to be 10,000 calories and you're perfectly fine. That always baffles. It always blows my mind when I go to travel, especially in, in Europe and Asia, where there's some less developed countries where there's not as much packaged food and processed food is that you can eat. And of course, you're walking more. So it's kind of like uh, uh, both confounding, but you eat so much and like you don't gain weight. And then you look at the ingredients. Let's say you take Lucky Charms in Europe, Lucky Charms versus Lucky Charms in the USA, drastically different ingredients. Like, I don't know what happened here in America. Well, I do know what happened, but it's just, it's mind blowing too. <laughs> Uh, we're not condoning Lucky Charms, by the way. We're not. Yeah. We're not saying eat Lucky Charms. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> but to to add even more to that point, going back to that seventeen course meal that you attended. Yes, the Whole Foods, and yes, that is so important and amazing. But I'm also sure that something else that you guys experienced during that meal was one you were eating slowly and intentionally, you know, your meal was spaced out. You had time to chew your food. You weren't just scarfing down a meal as fast as possible. So you get back to your computer and start working. And then two, there was probably a huge aspect of community at that meal. You were talking, you were laughing, you were enjoying time in community. And I feel like that is really the golden key in, in all of these societies where, yeah, they're eating these great foods. Yeah. They're doing all these things, but also like they have a joyful life. They're not just rushing to get to the next thing constantly. And I think that also plays such a huge factor in their ability to be able to process all the sugar and all these different things. I could not imagine more. And being present, this is, this is a huge thing as well. Being present is probably the most important thing you could do at any moment in time is being 100% fully present here. You know, content with where you are, you're not looking at your phone. You don't have the desire of, of doing X, Y, Z. You're not thinking of the past. And that's what's so beautiful about eating. And this is why, like, one of my favorite things to do is eat with my family and friends. It's, like, the top thing I can do. It's because I'm just having a conversation. I'm enjoying good food. And there's nothing that brings me more joy. Now, going back to being present, that's a great point you made. It's, like, I remember looking around, too, when I was at the agriturismo. No one was on their phones. Everyone was laughing. Everyone was drinking wine. And it was, it was just, a, it was a really good feeling because, you know, here in the States, I love America. We are just, um, very, we're in a different mind state. It's more consume, 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 consume. Whereas over there, you know, it's more, let me, 
relax not relax but let me uh i mean yeah. i know we were talking about this at dinner a, a, a couple weeks ago kyler maybe that was last week but you know like uh, i'm lebanese you know my roots come from lebanon my family tree is we have a data back to like the mid basically 15th century so like 1450 and lebanon is a very isolated place especially the mountainside um it's very high up it's very tough to navigate so you know it didn't really get globalized when you go to the mountains of Lebanon. So they live a very traditional life. And I was blessed enough to have that experience, to be born in a culture where like, I'm able to go to Lebanon, which a lot of people are afraid to go to just because of, you know, there's a lot of stigma around the, the Eastern Mediterranean and we got conflated with the Middle East and whatnot and, you know, all those subjects. But, uh, you know, I'm able to go back and go to that countryside an experience a life that many people will never even have the chance to, and they could only see it theoretically, right? Like, I feel there's a lot of people that speak about blue zones and think about blue zones, but they haven't actually been there to see and actually know what it like curtails or entails. So, um, you know, you go back and you see this level of enjoyment that people have, and it comes through this closeness with family, a closeness with nature a deep understanding and peace with themselves. And uh, to go back about having a meal, you know, I was there earlier this summer and we got invited up to the mountains and the head of my dad's side of the family, he's around like his 85, 90 years old. And actually the elders prior before him, I'm lucky to have direct relatives one or two generations away that have lived well over a hundred. Like my great grandpa got to 111. Uh, my mother's grandpa got to a hundred uh who else my grandmother on my mother's side went over 100 a lot of people went over that age and i think it, what what i really realized is that when we went up to the mountainside and we're having this dinner it was a beautiful dinner we're overlooking the mountain you could see the the mediterranean because we're all the way we got that the whole entire view of lebanon and the elders at the table and there's like 30 40 people around him and i'm sitting there i'm looking at him i'm realizing like oh my god Everybody at this table came from this man, literally came directly from this person. And at the end of his life, he's able to have dinner and see all these people that he brought life to these 30 and 40 people right in front of him. And he's able to see them mingle, have their own life experiences, create other generations, create businesses, create happiness, all this stuff. And like, that's purpose. That's beauty. I mean, to have that, can you imagine that feeling at, at that end stage of life? Why would you want to go? I wouldn't want to die. I feel like genetically and biologically, your body won't shut down because it's like, I have to be here for all these people I procreated. And if you look at the West, I mean, this is another thing I love about the Eastern Mediterranean too, is like when you go back, you see truly old people. And what I mean, like truly old people, like that 96-year-old woman who's like, super wrinkly you know her back is completely hunched over to the side to the left she can barely walk but she's laughing and she's so gorgeous is the way to put it because she's a real woman and her family's around them and, and people are taking care of her and she's still able to stay and provide and give some type of role to the family though it, it may not be as active and i think one of the saddest things and people want to talk about longevity people want to talk about life in the west but like Man, how many people talk about longevity all the time? And like, they just sent their parents to like an elderly people home after 65, 70. Like you just completely isolated them away from you, from life, from what they created. Like, how would you not want to die? Honestly, like I hate to be so harsh, but like, we can't just isolate these people. Like we, it's so odd. So to get back to that main point, it's like those people are, they have a purpose. They have a family life. They see their family every day. They see their friends every day. You never get bored. There's no sorrow. And if there's sorrow, it's sorrow in unison. Somebody had died and we could all get together and we could have sorrow together. But like, I feel like the sorrow here in the West when it comes for the elderly population and, and why they tend to die off so quickly is more like sorrow and, and isolation, you know? And I think that's the worst type of pain anybody could have. And it would just not make you want to exist in a way. You're like, hey, crap, I, I did my work. I'm no longer productive to society. I'm out. Good night. Let me just clock out and watch, I don't know, CNN for the next three hours. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that, was like that was like such a, such a mic drop. That made me so emotional listening to those. Everything you said was so <laughs> accurate and true. And I don't think 
people think about that today? They don't at all. And it's like, we can't forget where we came from. And another thing too is like, okay, we're talking about health. We're talking about longevity. We want to stay as healthy as possible. But also like you think about the Eastern Mediterranean, like Eric was saying, there's a lot of unconventional things that they tell us not to do over here. Like, let's say for instance, we have a family gathering and like you have a bunch of 80 and 90 year olds. They're just chief in cigars. And they've been smoking tobacco their whole entire life. And they're as healthy as can be. And like for me, when I first saw that, you know, what's the, what's the number one devil in the West? Tobacco. Like if you smoke tobacco, your ears and your lungs and everything is going to fall off and you're going to become hideous. I'm not saying to go smoke tobacco, but I think what really kills us is the stress of things rather than, I mean, I feel like they just consume natural whole foods, which gives them the basis of their strength and their vitality. And they may do things that aren't good for them, but the stress of doing that thing or like, oh my God, I just smoked a cigarette. I'm going to die. That stress is going to kill you. And I think that a lot of people here, they become so neurotic about their health and preserving a life that's not even worth living anymore because you're not doing anything. All you're doing is just preserving. And you don't really see that over there. It's just like, we're doing the right things. We're enjoying our life. It's unconventional. And like, because of that, we're just thriving. It's not like oh, I'm eating healthy. I'm doing all these things. And I got to make sure I do my hit workout today because my heart is going to do this and my that and that, 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 that. It ruins this life that you don't even get to experience. So, yep. yeah. Were you going to say Beautiful. something, Eric? Nope. Beautifully said. I agree. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Stress. <laughs> stress is the, is the new cigarette for sure. But also. Stress is the new cigarette. But also, you know, what you're saying about, you know, people are, people are so obsessive is the only word that I can think of, of their longevity and making sure, you know, especially with like smartwatches and the freaking aura rings and all this shit that we have today, people want to track the exact metrics of their health and like everything is, everything is data and everything can be measured and, you know, they, they weigh their food and they, and they do all this shit. And it's like, you are so obsessive about your longevity that like one, you're stressing yourself out so much for things that honestly are not even worth it. But then also you're spending your whole existence just trying to live longer, but you're not actually living like you said. And it's, it's just, it's so funny to me to see these people that just try to measure and perfect every part of their life because it also takes you so out of touch with your own body you know you're you wake up in the morning and you check your your phone to see what your sleep score is rather than like getting in tune with your body of like oh do I feel rested no okay like no no what was my sleep score it doesn't matter how I feel like my sleep score needs to be high and then they you know you have your recovery scores and all this shit and it's like when did we stop just listening to our body when did we stop being in direct communication? with ourselves and how we feel like, cool, your sleep score is super high, but your cortisol is through the roof. Like you are not living right. a healthy life and it just, yeah. it's so Even, disconnected. You know, tracking everything, tracking macros, tracking this. I mean, okay. I remember, you know, five years ago, like I said, when I used to bodybuild and I would have to have to, right. I'm not saying I need, I have to hit these amount of calories, right. I would be so full towards the end of the night oh my gosh, I have to hit these calories. I would consume more, even though my body is literally telling me like, hey, you have literally consumed all the food that you need, if not way more, because I'm bloated and I feel horrible. But oh, because uh, this person told me I needed to consume this amount, I have to consume this amount. Like, no, some days I just won't eat all day because my I'm not hungry. And that's perfectly fine. Like I just fasted. Oh my God, I just fasted at 6 p.m. Now I'm hungry. Okay, I'll eat. Yeah. I with you like we have lo lost touch with our body and i've had so many small sicknesses problems that have gone away just from okay i have this thing wrong with my uh my eye i'm not gonna go to the doctor i stopped going to the doctor years and years ago i'm just gonna let it i'm gonna see what happens and guess what happens in a week or two weeks it's gone the way i see things and it's, it's severe is if if it's either my body Cures it or I die. Like that's how I see it. <laughs> no, seriously. It's like either this, my body cannot overcome this, and so I die, or I overcome it, I become stronger, I become more anti-fragile, and then I'm 
fine. And then next time if that same thing occurs, I am more like I'm most likely going to be much stronger combating that. If that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's so it's so funny how people have lost trust in their bodies. You know, the second we get a single symptom of some minor cold or or something, you rush to the doctor and you immediately have to have go have someone else tell you what's wrong with you. You need someone else to diagnose your problems. And it's like we can like our body is, is extremely intelligent. Our body knows how to take care of ourselves. Our body knows how to tell us what's wrong. It knows how to tell us what we need. And it's like when you completely give away all of your trust to people outside of you, to things outside of you, it it just ruins everything. There's this billboard that is outside our house that drives me literally insane because it's like the billboard, I think it says, got flu symptoms, come and make sure. And it's like for like an urgent care. And it's like basically saying like, if you have minor flu symptoms, just come make sure it's the flu. And I'm like, who fucking cares? If I have flu symptoms, I'm going to lay in bed. I'm going to eat some raw honey. I'm going to drink some soup and I'm going to take a nap. And then they're probably going to go away in a few days. Like, I don't need some right. test to concern, confirm that I have the flu. Like, that doesn't change anything. I don't need you to tell me. <laughs> just so, so weird. Your, right. your body's and you know up. what? Go, Joey. I'm sorry. It, me and Eric actually have this conversation a lot. We we have this debate with a lot of other people. And it's like, okay, the foundation of, of Western medicine and Western logic today, right? Like, for instance... How we diagnose things is based on the evidence that we have today and our worldview on that science, right? So, like, I feel um, ultimately, you know, when you go to the doctor, they're under the presumption that their logic is correct of how they're going to diagnose and what they're doing and this and that. And they're going away from intuition. But we've seen so many times throughout, like, scientific history and, like, for instance, okay, let me take a few steps back. We'll go to the bodybuilding type of example. People first wanted to understand how muscle was built and how muscle was developed. They believed if you lifted weight, what was the pathway that would occur that would build muscle? At first, they would say it was hypertrophy was caused by the tearing and the regrowth of muscles. They said, oh, uh, you know, that's an incorrect thing. Uh, it's probably a spike of hormone that causes the, the muscle to increase and stay at that size. Oh, that's a wrong theory. It's probably going to be spiking of the mTOR and the mTOR spiking causes more muscle growth. Uh, or D it's every time that you tear your muscles, uh, your protein synthesis goes up and your body absorbs more protein and henceforth. But the theory is constantly changing. And the thing is, is that through that paradigm of the theory. So like, let's say it's the whole mTOR thing, like the mTOR modulation. If your doctor believes that the way for you to build muscle is by mTOR modulation, he's going to prescribe everything through the lens of mTOR modulation, which we found out after they destroyed how many people's bodies by like unintended third-party consequences of like mTOR modulation. I'm talking about for the pro bodybuilders and whatnot. It was completely wrong. It was a completely baseless theory that it was just in the paradigm of science at that time. So to make my point is like, okay, we're going to the doctor and they're trying to prescribe people these things under their premise of knowledge today, their logic today. And we're completely like taking away our intuition, throwing it and just believing whatever their logic is of today not saying that medical science is wrong. I'm not saying that medical science is bad. I think medical science is one of the things that propelled humanity to its greatest limits. But I think that today it's being way over applied and that most of the time they don't know what they're talking about and that the body could take care of itself 99.9% of the time. And like, um, for instance, you might go to the doctor today and We'll talk about depression. I don't know if you took down 275 and you see the, the billboard that says got depression. Have you seen that one? Yes, I know or exactly no. what you're talking about. Every time I see that billboard, it makes me want to jump out the car and just like die on the highway. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> because at the end of the day, when you go to that doctor, right? She's up. It's, it's a lady. I'm not going to tell you who it is because we don't need to like, uh, you know, make fun of them on the internet. But she's going to go into the day that depression is caused by some type of uh, you know, deficiency in your neurochemistry, whether it may be dopamine or whether it may be uh, serotonin or this and that and this, and she may prescribe medication to change those levels. But 10 to 20 years from now, we may find out that that theory that they had today was completely baseless and that depression is not, which I don't think it is, by the way, it's more of those three things that we were talking before, which is, uh, you know, 
your family, your intention in life, diet, exercise, whatnot. But that theory of neurochemistry is going to be completely debunked and it might move to something else. So you've operated on a person with that theory during that paradigm, messed up their life, and then they have to bear the consequences of it. This is why I stay straight from doctors unless it's very, very critical. Um, and yeah, speaking about doctors yeah. today, so like you can't like go in with the flu and that, that's just the way that they're looking at their lens or looking at your diagnosis with the lens of today. Like it became very fashionable to, to like look at things with a new lens, like the body is constantly changing. Yeah, absolutely. But, and it's not even that it's also the fact that they look at it with a completely compartmentalized lens, like every different piece of your health, it is compartmentalized in Western medicine. And they don't see that your body functioning as a whole, they see, you know, oh, you have heart disease. Okay. Let's give you this heart medication. Not like, oh, you have heart disease. What in your body is causing that? Oh, you have this lung problem. Let's give you this medication. It's going to have these 10 side effects on this other part of your body, but that's okay. We're going to fix your lungs. And then you get like everything, nothing's connected. And it drives me freaking insane because you, you quote unquote, fix one thing, it creates a problem with another thing, another thing. And if you just look at the body as a whole, the way that it all functions and works together so beautifully, like you'd fix a lot of problems. I agree. Right. And I, we have all, you know, now everyone wants to be normal. Normality is like the new thing. Whereas everyone is so different. And like some people, and I'm using the word depressed, but I'm not, I'm not, um, don't take me for, uh, don't take it hard face, but some people are more depressed than others. And some people are more, uh, let's say energetic and some people more this and it's to their benefit. It's like who they are. It's like mm-hmm. 88 people with ADHD. I think I have some form of, I don't even want to call it ADHD, but just attention deficit. And those people are better equipped to do this. And those people like Edgar Allan Poe, right? They say he was extremely depressed. That's why he was such a great writer. Like he literally, like he could sympathize and he could be able to write because he was in this state of like, I don't know. He was so inside his mind 24 seven. And so I think everyone trying to be normal and diagnose everything so that we're all like equal and we all have this like baseline healthy level. I think it's, I think it's causing much more harm than good because every mind, every brain, every body is so different. Like, yeah, there is no, baseline human no there's not and like i said some people are more well equipped to do construction jobs and some more well equipped to be a lawyer and read and this and that and i think your body as you grow your mind you're almost not you can do a lot of different things but you're almost meant to do that thing whatever it is that is most equipped with how your mind operates and i think you know making someone i don't know it's it's a it's a complicated topic yeah, 100%. Right. That makes it takes intuition. Yeah. Yeah. That almost, and I won't go down this rabbit hole, but the whole rabbit hole of, you know, traditional schooling of how all the kids are pretty much put in a room and told to sit down and shut up. And they all have to learn the exact same way. And they're trying to morph all of these very different children into the exact same product when they all learn differently and they, you know, all these things. And that is. Well, that, you don't want to bring that up in front of me. <laughs> oh, yeah? I go on a tirade right now. Oh, I'll go on a tirade. I think Eric has probably heard this one a hundred times, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, we will have to do that on another episode because I will definitely have to have you guys back on the show. But I really appreciated you guys coming on today and sharing some of your wisdom and goodness and sharing all the wonders of sardines with us. I'm sure people are going to get so much value out of this episode. I love that we started off with sardines and ended on a completely different and even much better topic. Yes. Thank so you for if, having Of course, if people want to consume some skin and bone sardines, where can they find it? Yeah. So we're available on our website, skinandboneus.com. We have a six pack and 12 pack available on there. And then as well as Amazon. Best place if you want to learn some recipes or just get some more information is Instagram and you can find us skin and bone us. Simple and 
you are in some stores now. Where are those? Yep. So we are based in Tampa and we are in a couple of local stores. Abby's, they have great raw milk, by the way. Just wanted to throw that out there. We are in Rolling Oats, St. Pete. We are in Baba. They're a Lebanese. Actually, I'm sorry. It's not Baba. It's Bordini. Bordini, they only serve oysters and canned fish. It's actually very cool. It's like an upscale restaurant. So we're in there. We are also expanding into other spots. Boozy Pig, we are working on right now. Um, Fig and Jupiter. Is that Julia. it, Joey? Juliet? I don't know. Sorry, guys. We forgot the name. but the good news is is it's q1 and probably by the end of this quarter we got some exciting news we're going to get some national distribution coming up real soon so i'm sure you're going to see us in your local natural grocery and small independent because that's what we're shooting for all over the united states we're working on some big things now because people believe in us and uh yeah Amazing. Well, I believe so much in you guys and I believe so much in your product and I hope everyone goes out and buys a pack of skin and bones after this. Thank you so much for joining today. I can't wait to chat with you guys again soon. Means a lot. Thanks, Thanks.